Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2021, an HBO Max original, available in theaters and on HBO Max, Mortal Kombat. Can you say it right, please? Mortal Kombat with a K. I'm learning that the theme that we're accustomed to, the the electro pop old guard dance theme for the fights, yeah, is from the movie. It's not from the game at all. Oh, really? And it's in said song. He goes, "Mortal Kombat." Yeah, how come nobody ever said that in the movie? I was waiting for it the entire movie. Because it's from the 1995 version. Do you know that there are like four Mortal Kombat movies? There's like Annihilations and all these other like sequels and stuff. There was a lot of blood in this. This movie was gory. The breaking off of arms. There was the buzz sawing in half of the dragon lady. (laughs) The harpy. She went down the worst, maybe, right? <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And I think that Mortal Kombat, the, this movie, this 2021 version, came in with a huge deficit that I was always expecting it to be terrible. And so when the first thing in 17th century Japan wasn't horrible, I had some hope. Okay, so the cold open was like, you felt like this had some potential? I felt like it had potential, And I thought it was curiously family-centered and graceful for it to then devolve into crappy, modern-day, gross UFC crap. Yeah, that was an interesting juxtaposition. They went from honorable, what was it, 16th century hand combat to, like, a cage match? The whole movie immediately lost any grace and honor it had built up to that point, which was 
you know, we knew what it was coming into, but it changed tone. And I was like, here it is. This is the Mortal Kombat movie we've been waiting for. Or you've been bracing yourself for. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. But going back to Japan, if Sonata, who eventually played Scorpion, Hanzo, if he was so badass, why did he hire bodyguards to patrol his house? All day? Like the dude was on high alert, right? He was like in action stance and like looking around furtively as if something could happen at any time. But the master went down to get the water and the bodyguards were taken out immediately and his family was like freeze killed. Oh, so you're saying why didn't like the guards go fetch water while the scorpion fire master stayed at home and took care of his family? Yeah, he was an immortal combatant. He was the best one to protect them. He didn't need to be making water runs. Well, he, you know, he was being of service to his wife and she was like, I need more water than this. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but uh, even the Japanese fight was silly dance music. He's like, my family is frozen. You must die. Prepare to die. Dun, 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 and they're like all fighting. Oh, in the, even in the period piece. Right. I have a question that I fear is going to be very telling for you. What is the difference between Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter? Gore and, mm, well, actually not magic. I guess more magic. There were some supernatural type characters in Street Fighter. It's actually a little bit racist. Blanca from Brazil was like a monkey wolf walker type creature other than that i believe everybody was more or less human they had some magical flying chun li kick abilities and stuff and like fireballs and hadoukens but mortal Kombat was more of this earth world off world magical creatures kind of fight a and b it was way more bloody and graphic from the outset did you play mortal Kombat in the arcades i i, I certainly played it a couple of times but i was no big fan what character did you play when you played Mortal Kombat? Probably Raiden, the lightning swinging Big Trouble and Little China Hat Man, and Scorpion and Sub-Zero. So these were kind of the elders in Mortal Kombat 2021. In the case of Hiroyuki Sonata, he's like 58 years old and the oldest actor ever to play Scorpion. Wow, he looks fabulous. And alongside Ken Watanabe, maybe the most prolific Japanese actor we've got. So you could actually play Scorpion or Lord Raiden as characters in Mortal Kombat. They weren't like the the people that you came up against when you leveled up or something. Yeah, they weren't the bosses. There was no storyline from Mortal Kombat, which I think makes it easy for them to make a storyline and have it be whatever they want. It was literally a fight game. I'm sure that there was mythos if you played the game all the way through, but it was as simple as put a quarter in, choose your fighter, fight fatality, and that's kind of it. But there were clearly bad guys and good guys? Well, <laughs> I don't... Outer world and earth realm? I'm sure there was. And maybe some of this is banking off of the established 1995 film history that was laid down. Obviously, in most games, there are, you can choose to be the good guy humanoid fighter, or you can be the bad guy four-armed dude. Or the guy with the big hammer. Yeah, I figured like you came up against the forearm giant when you complete the final round or something. Yeah, I guess if you were going to play this game top to bottom single player, because it was always a social game. It was always playing against other people because the console was crowded and it was the era when people would stack quarters up because they got next game or whatever. Right. That was your way of keeping your place in line. 
Right. And because I was a kid in school and had the same free time as everybody else, there was rarely a time where you would find a Street Fighter or a Mortal Kombat game in the height of its popularity unmanned. So to play single player and to go through like a first player perspective where you subsequently fight and maybe get to a boss, I didn't have that experience. As I recall, Raiden and Sub-Zero and stuff were no different from the other characters. They had different skill sets and moves, and some were favored because they were cooler, but otherwise it was pretty evenly matched. It was clear that Lord Raiden, Hayashi Scorpion, Liu Kang with the frisbee hat, and uh, the other badass, Sub-Zero, Bihan, they were like the dudes, right? But I feel like the real standout character in this movie was definitely Kano. There's a joke, there's a meme going around that he actually needed surgery after this movie because of chronic back pain from carrying the entire Mortal Kombat movie on his back <laughs> single-handedly. <laughs> he was an interesting choice for Kano, who I understand is supposed to be Russian. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you're again, you have to come with this history because I just don't have the basis. Well, I'm getting that from Brian, probably the most unreliable source for Mortal Kombat, because I was like, so what do you know, know about Mortal Kombat the game? And he was like, what everybody knows. And I was like, what's that? He's like, up, up, down, down, A, B, A, B, start. (laughs) I mean, there were combinations. Apparently there were some spray painted combinations in the graffiti for like the arcade moves and stuff. No. for For the true nerds in the background. The invisible reptilian monster that Kano fights and kills. Was that a uh, character? Alligator, invisible alligator dude or whatever? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I think so. And that started kind of a trend for this movie of characters dying before their time. I was like, huh. So some of these are obviously secondary characters. And you can tell because they were introduced way late. And they were like, where'd that dude come from? He's part of the bad crew now. The off-world crew. And it makes sense that that dude dies first. Like Predator Man with the eyes or Invisible Alligator Man or the Harpy Lady who got sawed in half. They're just kind of fodder for guts and blood. But Kano was a standout and I think he was supposed to be a favorite. You were supposed to like him. I think so. He's a lovable mercenary, but it's no surprise that he turns. And I think that you're happy to see him get his comeuppance, right? Mm, I don't know. I I thought his turn would be a lapse in judgment or a double agent kind of thing where he lures Predator Man in, who hates him, by the way. They teamed up again pretty quickly. When he did turn, it wasn't terribly surprising, but I thought it was a misdirect. I thought he would come back around. And when he did die, I was like, oh, okay, well, they're killing people before the finale or whatever. It was clear the instant Cole matches Sonya Blade up with Kano that that's going to be Sonya's opportunity to get the mark, right? Because the whole time I'm like, what is she doing there? What is that actress doing there? Once we got off the older people and we got to the kids, I was like, who are any of these people? (laughs) One of the coolest stunts, by the way, was the actual actor climbing up on top of the trunk, hopping over the barbed wire and doing his little tuck and roll. When he did that, I was like, that was totally him. And that was awesome. And it's noticeable when you see an actor in a one take do that kind of stunt, which could have been, I guess, dangerous, but maybe they did that last. And everything else is augmented by wires and CG and stuff. And so those little stunts strangely stand out. But once he hopped over Sonya Blade's fence, for all intents and purposes, the wife and the daughter disappeared for a large portion of the film until they became his motivation to continue. He goes through the portal, go back to your wife and children, and then... To find his arcana. And and then when once his wife 
second child are taken, then he's incentivized to return, I think. But other than that, we got the kid out of the picture pretty early, which was good. So the point is, these aren't young people, but they're young enough for me to be like, who the hell is this? Why do I care about you? Right. Sonia Blade, she was like special forces or something supposed yeah. to be. And you could tell because she had her special forces gloves and her special forces wife beater and her special forces dog tag and ponytail. And that's kind of really it. I was like, what is she doing here? Is she going to die? And if she is, can she please die sooner? And then when she obviously wasn't, all right, let's get the dark mark and let's get this thing underway. The dark mark. She had really strange on moments and off moments. Like yeah. her opening scene was really bad. I was Her performance was cringeworthy. And then we got when we got to Raiden's temple, she, she got better. She was a little bit better, but the whole time I saw her and I was like, fake old McAdams, fake Rachel, fake Adams. She was <laughs> fake old McAdams? Yeah. Not fecal, fecal. Fecal. She was, to me, she was like Charlie's fecal, Charlie's faken, Char- Charlie's faken. Nope. There's nothing you can do there. Fakel McAdams is already a stretch. And so she was like the American component where I was really shocked that her arcana wasn't like magical guns or something. Yeah, yeah. I totally thought she was going to get guns, but instead she got laser fists. <laughs> something. But who was the main guy? The the Black Cole Panther Young? suit? That guy. He thought that his dragon mark, dark mark, was a birthmark? Like, seriously, the dragon thing? I've had that ever since I was born. I don't know, man. <sighs> I get, so he was the descendant of who ultimately became Scorpion, Hanzo. Yes. Um, yeah, he thought the dragon thing was a birthmark. That's dumb. Well, you know, there have been, you know, people have birthmarks that look like Jesus on toast. And Paloma has a <laughs> birthmark that uh, looks like a leech on her butt. Really? What are you going to do? I don't know. Cole Young, played by Louis Tan, uh, is supposed to be our main character, right? Definitely our sympathetic character. He's a good looking guy. I really wanted him to have the Keanu Reeves charisma, and I felt like he lacked authenticity. He was trying to be kind of actory and kind of dramatic, and I thought that maybe if he just embraced this role for what it was, it would have been better. I felt like this guy was like a crazy rich Asian who didn't quite belong in the movie. A lot like <laughs> Sonya Blade. I feel like these were like the Ryu and Ken sort of generic anchor characters that were otherwise unremarkable from Street Fighter 2. He has an imposing stature, like he's got a great body. He's got a pretty decent face, but somehow he seemed to shrink in a room next to Kano. And yet, strangely, the little dude with the hair, whose right? name I forget. Dude. That was like, that guy. that guy's a champion, that little dude, and he took off his shirt, and I was like, oh, I get it now. That little dude, he had the Jogo Lev thing going on where he's like a little dude, but he like somehow is kind of really badass. If the Japanese came strong with their supaidaman, he would be perfect. Like his, he looks like a child and he's so ripped and cut. It's like, whoa. And he was pretty commanding. I took his words as face value when he's like guiding them through the temple and doing all his exposition. Like I was like, yeah, this. I mean, I would listen to this guy. He seems pretty legit. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious when Kano was like, none of that Harry Potter shit. Right. A Warner Brothers property, I might add. <laughs> 
which made me laugh out loud because it was really insulting and he kind of looks like a child, but he was really badass. And I'm assuming that when he um, wraps his little red thing, that was kind of Ryu, wasn't it? When he wraps his little red bandana on? It's all kind of in this vein and I think they can trade off of that familiarity. He had his little white gi on and it looked Ryu-ish, yeah. When he tied his little headband thing on, that's when he came into his full Mortal Kombat essence. But he was ripped, and he definitely held his own, even when he was in battle with Kino, which was pretty surprising. I I understand that we are calling the champions, and that ultimately, if the champions are to participate in Mortal Kombat, they have to find their arcana. Because obviously, Sub-Zero's motivation was to wipe out Hanzo's bloodline lest a champion should arise because they had won nine tournaments. And if they win ten, then they can, then outer realm or outer world can take over earth realm and enslave the human population. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty heady there. But for the purposes of people like Sonya Blade, were they hunting down and trying to kill each other to get the dark mark to get a Mortal Kombat pass? Or to unlock the arcana so that they could participate? Vaguely, I think they were trying to save the world. <laughs> and what's-his-face already had the mark. Jack's already had the mark, so they were trying to figure out what exactly that meant. And obviously I thought that when Sub-Zero obviously killed Jax, I mean, he froze his arms off, and then he threw him down the thing where he crashed off the thing like face-first, like Titanic-style. Yeah. And I was like, that dude's definitely <laughs> dead. And then... Presumably, Sub-Zero took his mark, or, you know, if he didn't already have a mark, but he was gone and then he wasn't. So it was obvious when Kano died much later that that's how Sonya Blade got her mark. Because I thought this whole time this movie was building to the All-Valley Under-18 Karate Championship. Of course. Yeah, we're, we're, go- we're headed for the <laughs> tournament. It's off-world in a giant, in a giant Quidditch arena. Where uh, there's millions of like ET is watching and like the every like everybody from Star Wars and then they were gonna <laughs> and the announcer was gonna be like Mortal Kombat and they were gonna fight in a grand tournament and then everybody kept dying and then they had like the ultimate battle in like the abandoned swimming pool or whatever that was that was his old gym wasn't it because he goes to the locker and gets up the towel after the fact. So I guess this tournament was happening in the streets at any given time, right? It was like the film festival of fight circuits where like all over town, these little underground battles were happening. Well, this was Cole's brilliant idea of divide and conquer. Was there ever a giant tournament that that they just didn't make it to? No. (laughs) Well, there was supposed to be some giant tournament, but then somebody, I think it was Shang Tsung, who says, we're not prohibited from fighting out of the battle. You're allowed to fight outside of Mortal Kombat. And so that was established early on. But this movie is missing a battle royale. Because it felt like this movie was leading up to it. But instead, Cole had the brilliant idea of dividing and conquering. He said, listen, this team, you know, we can't take them as a group, but somehow maybe we can take them one-to-one. So Thunder Dude, just send us each to where everyone is. And then we'll take them all out. Except for Sub-Zero, we got to take him last because he's the biggest and baddest. Which was certainly the case because when Shang Tsung makes his last appearance, Thunder Dude's like, zip, 
Bye. <laughs> you're right. I thought it was over. Once Scorpion kills Sub-Zero, spoiler, you're like, okay, well, that was satisfying. And then the dude comes, and I was like, okay, here's the big fight. And he's right. like, nope. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he just zipped him away. I'm not sure exactly where he went. Somewhere, you know, into sequel land. And obviously there's no spoiler that there's going to be as many sequels as they can possibly milk, right? Because apparently Hanzo can't die anyway. Scorpion literally came back from hell to beat his old opponent who got burned by the Hellfire and then got whisked away by Badman and is obviously not dead, right? Obviously. Because if Scorpion can come back, these dudes are signed for like four movies. Oh. I think Sub-Zero dude is on for like four movies. Well, Sub-Zero was pretty scary. He was. But he's nowhere near as badass as as Scorpion ultimately was. Why was Scorpion so badass? I don't know. Because, I mean, when he's in uh, like feudal Japan or whatever in the 1640, you're like, oh, he's uh, really tough. And then when he came back at Scorpion, he was growly and intense and fire-breathy. I don't know why he kept taking his mask off every time he needed to talk. That seems counterintuitive. <laughs> but he was just badass. Like he's there's something to be said for older, more established actors. He came with all the gravitas, which I think all the kids lack. They're so slight and they don't have the weight of these grand tournaments and combats and ancient rivalries and stuff. It has to be someone like like uh, Sonata, who plays Scorpion, who's 58 years old, well-established, and has that gravity. What about Joe Taslim, who plays Bihan, Sub-Zero? I mean, he's only 39 years old, and he seemed pretty grounded. I mean, he's got Fast and Furious, and I mean, and he carried a lot of this. We'll see how it goes. He's going to be the anchor moving forward. So... Mortal Kombat, kind of what you would expect. I mean, this movie would definitely disappoint if it didn't deliver on the fight scenes. The fight choreography, I thought, was pretty right on. Like, awesome, intense, intricate, cinematic. Like, it delivers on the fight scenes. There's there's technique and there's innate ability, but even Sub-Zero and Scorpion looked unnecessarily, foolishly armored, right? Everybody was wearing unnecessary gear and elaborate costumes. Yeah, and then when Sub-Zero ripped it off in the last fight, I, w- I had like a feeling of relief. Like, yeah, get all that cumbersome gear off. I mean, they walk around like that all the time. In the giant bulky armor? Yeah, it's just not practical, and it makes it look kind of silly. Like Chapstick Lady with the mouth. She uh, was all messed up, and I was like, that's unfortunate with the mouth thing, but at least she like keeps her makeup on point. Like she's got the <laughs> eyeliner and stuff on at all times, so she's doing her best. Well, I like how she has her everyday mouth, and then she has extendo mouth when she goes into battle. Right, she has Fright Night mouth where she's going <laughs> to unleash the power of the scary Uncanny Valley jaw. The The mouth really didn't do anything, though. No, but, but wasn't that her arcana? The mouth? Yeah, she had super mouth, bitey mouth. Did she, I mean, she never bit Sonya Blade in their battle. No, I think she wanted to, but she was scary. Yeah, I think her arcana was being scary. What struck me as funny was that the whole movie was leading up to Cole getting his arcana, right? The whole, like, he couldn't get his arcana. Apparently, Lightning Dude orchestrates it so that Bad Dude sends the Smokey, the forearm monster after his family so that he can get his arcana. Like, did you get that sense that, that this was orchestrated so that Cole could get his arcana? Not necessarily. I saw that as the device by which that character ultimately realizes his strength when he's in the most peril. It seemed like that was set up by Lord Raiden. 
because Lord Raiden specifically thanks Shang Tsung for giving Cole his arcana. He's like, thank you for giving my warrior his arcana. Well, regardless of if it was, you know, devised in advance, the whole movie is leading up to Cole getting his arcana. And I felt like it was the most anticlimactic, kind of lamest superpower. Yeah, kind of like when Black Panther appears and he has his vibranium suit that absorbs impact and then redistributes it so he can channel it outwards as an attack. So you hit him, he stores the energy, and then bam, it energizes his punches or whatever so he can hurt other people. And that's cool in theory, but it looks a little bit weird on screen because he just has like this magical purple punch, like this prince punch, like wham, and people go flying away. Because when he first when when he first lands, Black Panther, and he's against the Winter Soldier, who has his giant metal arm and like machine guns and stuff. Black Panther like poses and extends his weapon, which is like ching, these little kitty fingernails. And you're like, that's what Black Panther's got. But it's not. It's his suit that makes him stronger, faster, and damn near unbeatable. And so that was the case for John. What was his name? Cole Young. Yeah. He's got his super suit and his little batons. He got, yeah. What were those weapons specifically? They were the ones that, they're swords that you tuck under your arms when you're not using them. They're police lady batons. I don't know. <laughs> they were cyberpunk arm blades. I don't know. So he gets his arcana, but it's really just this vibranium type suit thing and really nothing else so it just it seemed anticlimactic that it was all about him getting his arcana and then when he does you're like that's it like it was so funny when kano's celebrating his eyeball laser beam (laughs) he did take absurd pleasure and he was like yeah he's like i'm a fucking terminator and he was all happy or whatever (laughs) and you could you could tell because kano lasers like i puke like i'm not a quiet i can't be so when I puke, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a scream puker. And that's how the FX guys can tell. Okay, so whenever the actor is screaming, that's when you put in the eye laser. Because that's when he's lasering. He's a loud laserer. What is it about puking that makes you be loud? Like you don't, don't know. need it's... the volume to make it happen. As long as we're going to do it, we're going to forcefully expel it. But brilliantly set up. I mean, the whole Kano thing, everything around Kano worked. I mean, maybe that's a little bit too far. But the whole setup with the egg roll and how he gets pissed off about the egg roll and that's what helps him find his arcana. Pretty funny. He was just, he was so tough that he could be confident and funny and not have to take himself seriously. And I think he was the strength of the movie. Not taking itself quite as seriously as it maybe it could because some of the arcana was dumb and some of the characters were dumb and they're like look we're tied to this because we're tied to this video game property and we need to represent the stupid forearm guy or the guy with the hammer so as long as we're going to do that let's have fun with it and as long as we have the typical military type character let's at least make him fun in a way that somehow inexplicably they completely fail to make Sonya Blade do. The weight wasn't quite evenly distributed to them, or maybe they didn't carry it as much. I was a little disappointed with Jax, who I thought was a pretty cool character to begin with. He had some things going for him with, like, he already had the mark, he had the military background, he comes back from the dead, he gets his super arms, and then he just busts a head like a watermelon, and then and then he's done. That was yep. his resolution. But he already had the super arms, and all that work, all like he never skipped arm day, got all jacked, and then had jaxed 
and then had his arms frozen off and had to like anybody could have like the weakest dude ever could be attached with his arcana arms and he, and he could have thrown down or whatever so i wonder if jacks felt cheated because he might have been able to squish that dude's head with his normal arms <laughs> and so he comes back with his like shrimpy little shark toy arms <laughs> Little mechanical arms. And then I guess his arcana is like when they become super arms. Yeah. And they transform. It's like. Arm, yeah. Arm, the, arm, he arm, transformed. Arm. Yes. He transformed and then he became and then he can crush your head like a melon. Then he was like, OK, I'm good. Yep. But I, I do feel like they spent a whole lot of this movie setting people up. I was like, when are we going to get to this tournament? Like, Because we have a lot of eliminations to go through where people are like, fight, right? And then we never got to it. And so in that way, I felt like at least Jax had his full arc where he was a normal dude and then he was broken down. And then he found his arcana and found his inner strength and came around and crushed it because he already had the mark and was all ready to go. But they changed it enough and they gave him enough screen time and everybody characters enough development with the possible exception of the harpy lady who got buzzsawed in half pretty much right out of the gate so that I, I didn't feel cheated by any of the characters maybe there were fan favorites or whatever that were left out maybe there were fan favorites who got short shrift but by and large I felt like they put enough development into otherwise slight characters that I didn't feel like it was a cheat it seemed a little bit like the writers wrote themselves into a corner. There was no way to have a battle royale because we had lots of heroes and our heroes can't be killed. When you look at it, there was really no other way to resolve this than for them to fight their individual fights. And there were some rivalries that they developed enough to make the fights fairly satisfying. Ultimately, though, despite this delivering on great fight sequences and maybe not all that original, but still very entertaining fight choreography, it does feel anticlimactic. Even if it wasn't a battle royale and fight to the death, like at least we needed the big fight, which wasn't that big with Bihan in the frozen locker room. And then certainly wasn't when Raiden zips Shang Tsung away. It's, this one's hard because Mortal Kombat delivers on cool fight stuff, but does it deliver on Mortal Kombat? Mortal Kombat, for me, is only fights. It's what I remember about that video game. What you do, you put a quarter in and you fight. That's it. And you fight until someone rips the other person's spine out or blasts them apart with lightning or whatever the case was. But I think this movie does know its audience. I was expecting the Grand Tournament, and it didn't give me that. In that way, it can feel anticlimactic, but I was surprised by what I was given. I wasn't expecting to care, and I did uh, kind of a little bit. I didn't hate it, and I wasn't bored and just begging for it to end like I was with Godzilla vs. Kong. If someone was like, so, I mean, should I watch Mortal Kombat? Would it be worth it? And I'd be like, do you have HBO? I'd be like, yeah, go for it. I think this was an all right movie. I think it was a lower end all right, but I didn't hate it. And I think that it was on the strength of the Scorpion character, I guess the Sub-Zero character, the Kano character, and that's kind of it. I was surprisingly unhateful of Mortal Kombat. My highest possible <laughs> praise for a video game movie from 30 years ago or whatever. I was way too generous with Godzilla versus Kong, and I'm taking it out on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> a simple string out of fight sequences that were good, but otherwise unsupported. It was a series of fight vertebrae in a spine that had no nervous system, 
my official rating for Mortal Kombat is boring. I do admit that a lot of the weight was taken out of it when you realize that nobody actually dies. Like every one of those people could come back. And maybe Kano will return, and I hope so, because, man, any Mortal Kombat sequel would need that dude. What was it? Cause just because he got laser eye, then if you poke him in the eye, he dies? Yeah, the, the magic short-circuited or whatever when she poked him. <laughs> and it was, Melt like, sparking and stuff. <laughs> That's our review on Mortal Kombat, available currently on HBO Max. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. Let us know what you think about Mortal Kombat or whatever movies at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at or whatever movies. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.